greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It is good to see each one of you here this morning. Even though the youth aren't here, I thought it was the church is well filled, and I'm grateful to see each one of you. I believe there's coming a time where when they look back on 2020 that the Christians will be blamed for many things. We see it happening already. I just think we ought to be aware of that and to be prepared to stand anyway. But I'm thankful to see each one of you here faithfully and let us Stand shoulder to shoulder and be soldiers of the cross together. This morning, I've felt led to look at two more of God's attributes. And to me, they, they go hand in hand. And as I break it down, I think you'll understand why if God only had one at one of these and not the other, The world we live in, the way um, history has gone would look very, very different. But the the two I want to look at this morning is mercy and justice, or merciful and being just. So think with me this morning. What if God only had mercy? What would that look like? Or what if he only had justice, what would that look like? How would that differ with what we have today? So we think of a judge. Um, So there's a law in the books that says if you break, I'm just, I didn't go and look this up. I have no idea what the law says on this. But let's say if someone stole a certain amount of money or property worth a certain amount, and the law said that a judge could sentence you to two years in prison, but he only sent you there for six months, that's mercy. And God has done the same thing with us. But what if he didn't send you to prison at all? Is that mercy? People today, the culture we live in, I think they're arguing that way. And I think that's why we have some of the breakdown of our culture as we're observing around us. At that point, there's no justice. And if there's no justice, is it truly mercy or is it something else? Justice says that even if mercy is shown, there should be some punishment for wrongdoing. There have been judges that have done the exact opposite. Um, I remember when we were doing jail ministry at the Elkhart County Jail, there was a young man who I believe grew up Amish. And he had been, he'd gotten involved with methamphetamine. I don't remember if he was a dealer or just a user or what. But the judge showed no mercy. He threw the book at him. He gave him the maximum sentence and it seemed really unfair. This young man was going to be in prison for more years than some people 
that have committed multiple murders. That's justice without mercy. You may disagree with me, but when I thought it through, maybe I didn't think it through clearly end, but I thought justice without mercy is tyranny. If you think about countries, cultures, where there was justice, but there was no mercy showed, I believe that's tyranny. But what about the other? What is mercy without justice? And that's what we see right now being demanded in some areas of our world. I believe it's anarchy. So it's very important God that God has both of these attributes. I also believe that we as his people, followers of God, children of God, need to have both. If we only have one or have the other, we will be very out of balance people. So where do we first see God's justice in the history of mankind? I'm not going to turn to it. We know the story well, but right out of the gate, Adam and Eve. They sinned. The fact that God was a just God demanded that there be some kind of punishment. I believe he, did, he had every right to take the life of Adam and Eve. They had disobeyed him. They knew better and they did it anyway. But because of his mercy, he did not take their life, but rather said that there would be a punishment. They would have to leave the garden. They would now have to work for their food. They would have to feel pain. They would have to struggle. But he showed mercy in that he didn't take the extreme end that he could. Another story that came to my mind, um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 19. It's actually the first time in our King James Bible, King James Bible, that we find the word mercy and merciful is in Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, I want to start at verse 15. So this is after the angels had come to Sodom. The the men of the city had chased them down and were going to actually hurt Lot and his family. The men, the angels pulled them into the house. And this is the next morning. This is after Lot has tried to warn his children. And when the morning arose, and then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and, take, and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, they brought him, out of the, brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he, he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord, behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. 
And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. It, is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? We see, first of all, the angels acknowledging God's mercy in sending these men and in taking them out. But then Lot pleads for more mercy. He was, he, at, the, at this point, he understood the gravity that if he did not escape, he was going to die that day. And he was worried that something would happen. He would injure, get injured, or someone would physically stop them from fleeing. And so he begged for even more mercy. But God was merciful. God could have said, well, you know, Lot chose to live in a wicked city. Let him be destroyed along with the wicked. And yet God's mercy said that, no, I'm going to show mercy. And we also have the story earlier where Abraham pled for mercy for the city of Sodom and in a sense for the mercy on Lot and his family. But God did show mercy. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34, beginning at verse 4. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Up to this point, we don't really see God calling himself merciful but yet he was. He had just got done bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage. But how does it work when it comes to sin? We see here that it talks in verse 7 that by no means clear the guilty. So aren't we all guilty? Haven't we all sinned? Haven't we all failed at some point in our lives? How does God's justice and mercy work with that? We see many, many times in the Old Testament God showed mercy, but we also see where God's justice also was shown. He punished many. Some of it seemed like there was no opportunity for repentance. So what separates those who have, were shown mercy and those who repented? A lot of times we don't know all the opportunities, but I believe that 
in most cases when you look through the Bible. And even today, when it seems like someone's life is snuffed out rather quickly, that they may not have known they were about ready to die. I believe God gives opportunity for repentance. Even today, the fact that he hasn't destroyed the earth, I believe, speaks of his mercy. When you look around and you see the evil. One of the things I had to think about right now, a lot of people are focusing on it. And I think we should care about it, but I don't know every day that necessarily that we should get involved in trying to stop it because often it's it involves world governments and that is slavery especially sex slavery but you can look at that why is God allowing that there are people today who would say well if God is God why does he allow that to go on and I believe it's because of his mercy. But at some point, God will judge those that are involved in that. Those that are owning other people, destroying people's lives. Those who could make a difference, but are just looking away. Who are in positions to make a difference and stop it. But we as believers looking on, just let that evil, there's other evil, there's dictatorships where people are starved to death because of their governments. But yet I believe it's God's mercy that he has not destroyed the earth. I believe that he could at any time do that. And the Bible does say that at some point the earth will be destroyed by fire. But I had to think, I don't know, I'm starting to show my age here, but how many remember the tsunami of 2004? Half of you? So there, I thought there's at least a quarter of you that wouldn't remember it, but it was such a large number. Oh, almost a quarter of a million people were killed within a, pretty much an hour's time. It's hard for me even to wrap my mind around that. That would be like Elkhart County. Every person in Elkhart County plus another 25,000 being killed in an hour's time. May not understand. I don't know why God did that. Looking on from our eyes, many innocent people, children who were not of the age of accountability yet, possibly even Christians died in that tsunami and yet there are many stories of God's miraculous uh, deliverance in that too but there's coming a time where God's mercy will end and his judgment his justice will step in in the in uh, in the seven year peace treaty in that time period in the world millions if and most likely billions of people will die within a few years. God's mercy will end, but right now God is still being merciful to the world, still allowing an opportunity. But we, we have many people today taking for granted God's mercy, saying, well, things will continue as they are. And yet, there's coming a time when God's mercy will end. 
But God is merciful. It's sometimes maybe hard to understand why he chooses to show mercy to one and not another. Turn with me to another story in the Bible, uh, Jonah chapter 1. Most of the Old Testament, I don't know the percentage, but most of the Old Testament deals with the children of Israel and even their immediate surrounding neighbors. There's many angles you can come at the story of Jonah. But recently, listening to a play with my family on this on the story of Jonah it just it, it it hit me again the amazing mercy shown by God shown to some to a people who didn't deserve it in in our minds in our human thinking and probably to Jonah too Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he was found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. First of all, who were the Ninevites? If you go back in Genesis, I'm not going to take time to, this morning, but Genesis chapter 10, you'll see that Nineveh was built by the descendants of Ham. It breaks it down even further, gets to the actual grandson or great-grandson of Ham, but they were who built Nineveh. We don't know for sure, but many believe that Ham was, I could be wrong on this, correct me afterwards if I'm wrong, but Ham was black. So was that the reason Jonah didn't go? Was Jonah a racist? Um, others believe that the Ninevites had attacked. I, I was looking for it yesterday. I couldn't find it, but would have attacked the Israelites. Were, def- were definitely not kind to them. So was that played into the part of why Jonah didn't want to go? But even if none of those reasons are why, most likely one of the struggles Jonah had was that here was God showing mercy to a heathen nation. Not only, not only that they were heathen, they were wicked. It said that their wickedness had come up before God, which means I would believe that they were extremely wicked. Yet why did God show mercy to them? Jonah really had a problem with that. If you look closely at the story, and I'm not going to take time to look at all that, But in Jonah's mind, God had come for his people, for the children of Israel. His God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was supposed to show mercy to them. Why was he showing mercy to a heathen city, to a heathen people? Up to this point, looking at the Bible, it is rare that you see God show mercy to a heathen city, a heathen country. God would use a country. He would even allow uh, heathen countries to prosper to fulfill his ultimate plan. 
But this story stands out of God allowing a city to repent. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came up to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey, which I would believe would speak to how far, to how long it took to walk across it. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger and we perish not? And God saw their works and, they, and that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would not do it unto them and he did it not. So why, why did God show mercy to them? Why did God show mercy to billions of people today? Many, many that are not living for him. Many, many that are wicked. I believe that God often extends mercy to those that he believes still may repent. Even though they were wicked... Obviously, God sees in the future, but I also believe God knew that even though they were not where they should be at that time, that they would be willing to turn. I think often God's mercy extends to those who still may repent. But we also see where God judges, his justice comes in. And when I believe it's when he knows that the hearts are hardened beyond the point. But it's just fascinating how God, how up till this story, we don't see a lot of mercy shown to other, gener- other, other nations outside of Israel. And I had to think of myself being a Gentile that the story of Nineveh, in a sense, pointed forward to when Christ would come and open up his plan of salvation to each one of us as Gentiles. That he does care about, he does have mercy. It seems like sometimes God punishes without warning, but I believe that is rare. Maybe you know a young person who has died in a car crash or something like that. It seems like they didn't have a chance to repent. But yet, I believe that it's most likely that they rejected multiple warnings and nudges from God to turn. I had to think about it. It's interesting. It doesn't say it in the book of Jonah, but I looked it up online. They believe that Nineveh, 
according to historical records, was destroyed about 150 years later after Jonah went, after they repented. And I think that is amazing that the city turned to God in such a way that it was another four to six, four to eight generations, depending on how you look at it, before their wickedness returned to a point where God destroyed them. I had to think of the U.S., the wickedness that even happens here, abortion and other things that God hates, and yet he continues to show mercy. I believe 9-11 was a wake-up call. And many people did start going back to church, but not for very long. It was about six months a year ago, someone asked me that if another 9-11 event happened, would the U.S. respond in the same way? I felt at that point that, that, would not, that there would not be a great returning to churches. And I believe we've just experienced something bigger than 9-11 with COVID. I have not heard of any great revivals. There are a few. You hear examples of churches that, where people are turning back to Christ during this time, recognizing their need of him. But many, many are not. Most today in our country are looking to have their problems fixed by the government. They're putting their hope and trust in man and not God. And many others are even turning to violence and suicide because of their hopelessness and fear. Another story I want to look at is in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. And his wife, also being privy to it, bought a, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours later, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which are, have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Where was God's mercy in this story? It seems like all there is is justice, but yet at the same time, I believe God did it 
to show mercy to others to war, as a warning that God wants us to be honest. God wants us to, to be truthful and not deceitful. I don't believe that they had made this decision to lie and then two hours later they were dead. I believe it's something that they had thought about and in their minds worked, worked over it or went through it and multiple times I'm sure their conscience told them that they were wrong but yet they continued to do it and God's justice demanded that something be done. Some people may lie and de be deceitful and they seem to be successful their whole life but someday they will stand before God and answer whether they be truthful. God is just. He is merciful, but he is just. And so we need to be careful in our walk with him. You say, well, God wasn't merciful here. No, but his character demands they also be just. When Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross, I believe that God's mercy and justice were shown at the same time. God's justice demanded a sacrifice for the sins of every person who ever lived or ever will live on the earth. If not, we all deserve hell. But in sending Jesus to die, God showed mercy towards us in providing a way. His justice demanded a sacrifice, but his mercy provided Jesus to be able to do that so that we would not have to. Just some verses I want to look at in closing. Jacob uh, said in Genesis 49:18, when blessing his sons before his death, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Jacob didn't know. I don't believe he had a full understanding of how God was going to bring about salvation. But yet he looked to the Lord for that. 1 Samuel 2.1 And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And this is after Samuel was born. And she was so grateful, even though she was going to give him up to be a servant of God in the temple, she was not going to be able to have him in her home. Not going to be able to see him on a daily basis. Yet she was so grateful for what God had done. Faithful believers in the Old Testament knew the salvation from God, even though they didn't, like I said, even with Jacob, they didn't have a full understanding of how he'd fulfill it. The psalmist David says in Psalms 13.5, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. David and the other psalmist repeatedly spoke of salvation. Salvation required both God's mercy and justice. 
If God was only just and not merciful, he would not have provided a way of salvation. If God was merciful and not just, he would have not have needed to provide a way of salvation. Deuteronomy 21.8 says, Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood upon thy people, unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. Crying out to God, recognizing God's mercy. Second Chronicles 39, For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that led them captive so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. The same God that was merciful to the children of Israel is merciful to us today, even though it looks different than it did then. In closing, I want to read a part of uh, Psalms 103. Psalms 103, beginning at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who hath forgiven all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. And I'm going to stop there. This is a well-known psalm, but I just thought it applied so perfectly. As we think of God's judgment, his justice, his, but also his mercy. Verse 6 says he executeth righteousness and judgment. Here he's saying that, here he's talking about the oppressed, but it applies to everyone. God requires righteous, righteousness. He requires justice when, when people are wronged. But most importantly, he's merciful and gracious. He deals with us, it talks about here, he deals with us as a, as a father who loves his children. And his, his mercy, his graciousness, it says, is high above the heavens. It's from the east to the west. He didn't say north and south. He said east to west. There is no end to the east. There is no end to the west. It just keeps going forever. I am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that he is just. So when we see injustices happening around us, we know that God, God observes it. 
he will deal with it at some point. But also, he is merciful because we need his mercy. Because we're fallible, because we're human, we fail. We struggle. He is merciful and loves us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for each one that's here. Help us, Lord, to not turn our backs on you and to think that mercy will just extend as we turn away from you. But recognize, Lord, that if we come to you humbly and with a repentant heart, your mercy is great and you love us and you care about us and you want us to be alive and, and healthy and well and, and you, you want us to be there as children, as your children. But Father, we need to also remember that you're just. But that's also a promise, Lord, when we see things around us that are not right. We don't have to fix that. We can leave that in your hands. Help us, Lord, when we're struggling, when we're discouraged, to remember your mercy and to be encouraged by that. Bless each one that was here this morning. Help us, Lord, to honor you and be faithful to you this week and all that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.